Welcome to Citizens Midweek. It's a podcast for our church family in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we take a deeper look at this week's sermon. I'm your host, Jacob Kirby, joined today by our pastor and friend, Tim Olson. Here we go. This week at The Gathering, we continued on in our new sermon series uh, called The Fruit of the Spirit in a Time of the Flesh, taking a look at the fruits of the Spirit given to us in Galatians and talking about what it means for us to be a people that pursue sanctification and pursue these fruits in our life and even kind of despite the way that the culture around us, that the flesh in us. Um, would try to produce the opposite of this. So um, last week was our introduction to the series. This week we took a look at the fruit of love and specifically talking about love and a time of selfishness. So we looked at Luke chapter 10 verses 25 to 37 and just kind of talking about what the Bible says there. It's it's the story of um, the Good Samaritan and just kind of talking about what the Bible says about what it means for us to actually love people, not just to not just to feel affection for people, but actually to show love, to show sacrifice and commitment. So, um, you know, kind of talked about how our our sinful bent is towards selfishness, towards self-centeredness, so towards, as one translation of the text says, selfish ambition. Our culture really highlights that and kind of just the you-do-you individual mantras that we have. Um, but based on the story in Luke 10 that Jesus is really calling us to a different type of love in that way, not just to love ourselves, but to love our neighbor. Um, so Tim, you kind of gave four marks of love in the sermon. One is that love necessitates action. Um, two, love crosses to the other. Love seeks out the other. Three, love is willing to be interrupted with compassion. We can be inconvenienced when we love people. Uh, and number four, that love sacrifices at great cost to itself. Um, and that when we do these things, when we pursue love in this way, it's because of what the spirit's doing in us through the gospel. And, um, we're like Christ in that way. So, um, I think for me, the one that stuck out the most was that last one, that love sacrifices at great cost to itself, just because I think it's the most kind of clearly at odds to me with the what I see in the world around us. Like a lot of love is like in the world that we live in, love is kind of talked about as like this blind affirmation or this um, love is love is acceptance. Love is um, love is uh, letting people kind of be free to do whatever they want. Love is. Um, deep affection or emotion or love is, you know, all these other things. Love is desire. Um, But, you know, Christ would say that love is an action that sacrifices for one another. So, you know, in the world that we live in, one of my favorite podcasters kind of talks about selfishness in this way. She calls it trendy narcissism and talks about um, if the self is the problem, the self cannot also be the solution. And I think we kind of see that here in Christ-like love where you know, if we're, if our selfishness is in us because of sin, we can't just outdo our selfishness by loving like the world does. We have to love like Christ does, which, you know, seeks out the good of, of one another and, and uh, sacrifices a great deal for other people. I mean, it's just really encouraging to see a really Christ specific picture of love because our culture is obsessed with love. I mean, we talk about it in so many other ways than this. So I thought it was really meaningful to kind of recalibrate particularly about what it means to be Christ-like and our love towards one another. Yeah, I think even along those lines, I mean, that's just the the constant refrain that you see throughout the scriptures is love necessitates action, but it also necessitates sacrificial Mm -hmm. action. Um, I mean, you see that picture in James 1 where it talks about, you know, uh, talks like he's con he's contrasting faith without works versus right. faith with works and he talks about like if you see your brother and sister in need and you turn your ear like right. you turn your face away from them and you don't help them like 
how can the love of God abide in you? You see the same thing in First right. John 3, our passage from the, the love practice guy this morning, right, right. where he talks about, uh, if you say to your brother and sister in need, like, keep warm and well fed, but you don't <laughs> actually do anything to help when you can, yeah. then you can't say that the love of God is in you because you don't have that love manifesting itself in love for others. That, right. Uh, love throughout the scriptures is not simply um, sentimental feelings. It's not simply good ideas or a warm, ooey-gooey um, buzz within our hearts. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, how do you say that? But it's, it's, not, no, just like, yeah. it's not a warm feeling. Or it's something. not just chemistry. It's not just chemistry. It's not just like, oh, I like the way you make me feel. That love is a sacrificial action, mm-hmm. which has implications for our friendships, our marriages, our parenting, uh, our relationships, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's I think too about what Paul says in First Corinthians, right? Is it about if I um, First Corinthians thirteen? Yeah, about if I, you know, if I if I speak in the tongue speak of in the tongue of angels, if I, you know, worship, if I teach, and all these things, if I prophesy, but I don't have love, I'm, you know, a resounding I'm, gong. I'm a gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. You know, I yeah. mean, so just like the the way the 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 why to what we do matters with the what, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can do the right things and not doing it in love. If your if your action does not produce a willingness to sacrifice for one another, then it's I mean it's it's useless. You well, know? I think the really clear example even here of the guy that Jesus is talking to, right? Yeah. The lawyer, right? Who would have been well versed in the Mosaic law, or you think about the Levite or the priest, yeah. right? These would have been people that had uh, at least the Pentateuch, right. you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, at least those five books memorized, if not more, of the Old Testament scriptures. And so you can take First Corinthians 13, right? And you yeah. can do the modern translation, or even for these people Jesus is talking to in Luke 10. If I have the entire first five books of the Bible memorized <laughs> and have not love, yeah. love that makes me stop on the road for the person in need at great yeah. risk and cost to myself, then I'm a resounding gong. I'm just right. saying things. I'm just yelling. We we all know the person, right? right? And sometimes we are that person mm-hmm. that it's like, man, you sure do talk a lot about caring, <laughs> right? Like you sure do talk a lot about loving someone yeah. and it's no, there's no action behind it. Mm-hmm. There's no actual follow through in um, how you talk and yeah. what you say. Yeah, well, it's it's the dichotomy of what you already brought up. The faith without works is dead thing. It's not that... It's not that we are given our salvation by our faith, but it's that if we have faith, like we don't do our works, let's say it differently. We don't, we don't do works to earn our salvation, but if we've been saved, we will do the works because that's what the spirit naturally produces in us as people that are following Jesus. And it's the same here. Like we don't have to do certain things for people to earn salvation in Christ. But if we've been saved in Christ, we will be producing this kind of love that sacrifices. It's what following Jesus produces in us. Mm. Um, yeah. What what kind of stuck out to you the most while you were preparing for this week's sermon, Tim? Yeah. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about narcissism lately. <laughs> um, I mean, I think a lot of us are, are listening to the same podcast, but I'm also just reading a lot. Uh, I'm reading a, a book right now uh, by, a guy na- by a guy named Chuck DeGroote uh, called When Narcissism Comes to Church. And he just talks about... Uh, really, he walks through um, how all of us have narcissistic tendencies within us, uh, really following along the same lines of St. Augustine and Martin Luther that we talked about in the sermon on Sunday, right, where uh, Luther says, uh, instead of homo sapiens, we're homo incurvatus, right? Instead of men and women curved of wisdom, yeah, we're men and women that are curved inward on ourselves. We're uh, perpetually, instead of curved upward towards God or outward towards others, we're curved inward on what do I want? What do I need? What about me and I, I think uh I think I'm becoming just more and more convinced both of my own narcissistic tendencies. Uh and I, I think, you know, Chuck DeGroat in the book says it has a really good job of basically saying like 
uh, don't read this book and run around calling everyone a narcissist. Like that's not that's not what happens here. But he says, uh, arguably in America and because of sin, most of us probably have narcissistic tendencies where we just kind of go through life really thinking about and filtering everything about being about us. And I've been thinking about that a lot with that article from Colson uh, Whitehead in the New York Times, right? that article that uh, we referenced in the sermon where he talks about um, how you do you perfectly captures our narcissistic culture. And he has this opening uh, fable that got cut out of the sermon that I think is so fascinating. He talks about a scorpion and a frog. And there's a, a flood, and the scorpion needs help from the frog traveling across this river to get to the other side safely. And the frog's like, well, what? what happens if you sting me? Like what happens if, if I'm, you know, you decide on the course of me saving you across the river, uh, if you decide that you want to sting me and the scorpion's like, that'd be stupid. If I stung you, we would both die. And it would, you, you are my path to safety. So me out of self-protection, I'm not going to sting you. And they start traveling the river and the scorpion riding on the back of the frog. And then about halfway across, he stings the frog and they're both on their way down in the midst of dying. The frog, uh, the scorpion says to the frog, aren't you going to ask me why I stung you? And the frog says, hey, man, you do you. And I think it just so perfectly captures this fact that we don't know how to, he calls them these these phrases that are basically like conversation ending type phrases, where it's just like, it means nothing, but you can't rebut it, right? So he uses another one of like, you know, boys will be boys, right? It's like, that means nothing. It's also true and you can't rebut it. So it's like same thing with you do you. It's like, well, yeah, I'm going to do me. I don't know how to do anything else besides what I'm going to do, but it's not a conversation ender in such that, okay, I can just say that, well, you know, I'm going to do me, right? Like, yeah. Well, we say it as a form of license. Like, yeah. A form of shutting down conversation where it's like, uh, it doesn't matter what your opposite argumentative opinion is, because if I say, oh, I'm doing me, you can't say anything in contradiction to it. Even if you're 100% right and I'm 100% wrong and it's the stupidest idea I've ever had in my entire life and will lead to utter failure and hurt for me, I'm doing me. So it doesn't matter. And I think just that culture of narcissism where it's what is best for me, what is good for me, really under the undergirding of our entire American, modern, Western philosophy of life that just infiltrates the church. And then, uh, man, just that thought of like, this is exactly what the flesh wants. Like if, if the flesh, if our sin nature could organize a society, it would be organized around what is good for the individual, what is best for me. And so they're just those two things compounded, man, we live in such a deep time of selfishness that's hard to fathom, hard to see, and hard to push back against. Yeah. Well, even, I th- we'll probably talk about this some, I assume when we talk about humility too, but you were saying like, um, most people want to assume that they know the narcissists, mm-hmm. but you should probably start with thinking about yourself first. Yeah. Um, we were having a conversation with me and Steven, my roommate, we're talking to our friend Brooke about, um, just like assuming generously in one another and kind of talking about like, we have this tendency to always be the victim to whatever, like if there's a sin or a disunity situation, like we're always the most generous with our own assumptions about Mm -hmm. ourselves, (laughs) but the least generous about our assumptions Mm -hmm. of one another. And I just think that's not what love does. That's not what love does for the people that are in Christ together. Like love probably assumes the worst in myself first and the best in you first. Yeah. Um, and then maybe there's some talking back, but um, to just assume kind of in vanity or pride or ego that, you know, I'm, I'm definitely seeing myself the clearest and you the clearest. <laughs> and you, yeah. you know, it's, I mean, I just think that that breeds the selfishness that makes these kinds of narcissistic 
kind of fights a lot, I guess. Well, we said that even in point three, right? That love sees with compassion. And even thinking about this idea of like selfishness means that we have a thousand valid excuses for our mistakes and inabilities and zero valid excuses for the mistakes or inabilities of anybody else. And it'd be so easy uh, for the Samaritan man to see that man lying on the road and go, oh, well, you know, he probably left at the wrong time. He probably didn't have the right... Um, you know, self-protection for himself. He probably didn't do all the right steps. He probably made somebody back. It's so easy to just be of a thousand excuses in that moment and then validate, I'm really busy. I have a lot going on. I have a lot on my mind. I got to get somewhere. I'm very important. All valid things. Um, you know, I even I heard somebody preach on the Good Samaritan a few years ago. And I, I think it's, it's you don't want to over-conjecture with parables. So you got to be careful uh, not making the story say something more than it says. But one of the speculations that he was talking about with the priest and the Levite was, man, how many religious excuses do you think went through their minds for not stopping, right? Um, according to the Mosaic Law, semi-valid excuses. I can't touch blood, right? Like this is this would make me unclean as a priest or a Levite. Uh, maybe an excuse like, well, you know, this, I wouldn't be able to go do the sacrificial system that I'm about to do because I would have stepped into this. Or what if the man dies on the way and I'm not supposed to touch a dead body? I'm a priest, a Levite, or whatever. And so just like how many valid, even religious-based uh, assumptions and, and excuses they had for why they didn't want to step out in love. Uh, and I think that's just uh, thinking about that whole of like, yeah, all my uh, selfishness makes me go, all of my reasonings and excuses for why I did what I did or didn't do what I didn't do are valid and yours are not. Always, always me. Mm -hmm. I'm always right and I'm always justified. Yeah. What are we going to dive deep on this week, Tim? Yeah, I want to talk a little bit more. Uh, this is going to seem like a really one-off thing, uh, but I want to talk about types of Christ. So... Uh, here's what I mean by that. Yeah, please tell me. Yeah, so <laughs> in the story of the Good Samaritan, uh -huh. uh, every biblical scholar that you that I read that <laughs> most likely you will read all argue because we're all the, reading those. All you're the, all yeah. reading those biblical scholars. It's a bit in of your, light reading before bedtime. Yeah. Just you know, hanging out Netflix biblical scholars. Yeah, for sure. Um, all argue that the point of the story of the Good Samaritan, while it is very much Jesus saying, "Here's a go and do likewise example of love that we are supposed to follow," that it's also pointing. Uh, to the fuller love and the more beautiful love that Christ lived out. Uh, I think the way that that one person put it was in the story that Jesus tells, he points forward to the story that he's going to live, which is he is the good Samaritan. And we as broken, sinful, rebellious to God humans are left on the side of the road, I love dead that. and yeah. dying with no help. And Jesus is the one who shows up, comes to us, puts us on the donkey, takes us to the inn, heals us, forgives us and cleanses us. Uh, and so in a lot of ways, the good Samaritan is a type of, of Christ. He's a, a picture. He's a, a one that uh, symbolizes and points forward to the ultimate love that Christ shows through his life. It's a portrait of his character. It's a portrait us. of the character. Yeah. This is actually something we see all throughout the scripture. Um, uh, Brian uh, Chapel is a guy who talks a lot about this in his philosophy of preaching books and stuff. But really, if you read throughout the Old Testament and even some into the New Testament uh, in the Gospels and the parables and the stories of Jesus, you have all of these pictures of uh, good, true history that happened, good moral lessons to learn from them, but ultimately point forward to Christ, right? And we have this clearly Jesus on the Emmaus Road, right? After his resurrection, he's walking with two of his disciples, and it says that he teaches them everything in the scriptures that point to him. And so even throughout the Old Testament, from Genesis all the way to Malachi, there are good moral lessons to be learned, good historical narrative, good uh, recountings of what happens with the Old Testament people of God, the Israelites. But in all of it, we get glimpses in the people and in the symbols and the imagery 
of the Christ who was to come. You have tons of symbols or types of Christ in the Old Testament. So just even a few examples, David and Goliath. This was a re- one of the most popular Bible stories, right? David shows up, the people of Israelite, people of Israel are in fear, they're enslaved to their enemy, they don't know how they're going to get out. They can't rescue themselves. Goliath keeps taunting them. David shows up, takes the stone in the sling, chucks it I'm at Goliath. the motions head. you're doing. No cool. Yeah, no I one wish, can see this. I wish uh, people could see it's them. not a, a what's it called a vodcast? Um no. Uh, what do you call a video podcast? I don't know if you call oh. them anything. It's not a vlog. It's just audio. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm doing yeah. the symbol. Um, and he throws the stone and he hits Goliath in the head and Goliath dies. And it's so easy on the one hand to be like, you should be like David. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You should conquer your giant, slay your fears, oh, rescue the stuff. Go. You uh, you might be small, but God's got a plan for you. And on the one hand, kind of. Right. Sure. Like you should stand if, if Goliath is representative of sin, et cetera, et cetera, whatever. Uh, but in another way, in a much more beautiful awesome way david is a type of christ right he points forward to the people of god are in trouble they cannot save themselves there is a very real enemy on the other side and david comes up and he rescues his people in a really humbling way in a humble uh subversive not what's expected way just like jesus comes from bethlehem right born of a virgin born into a carpenter coming out of nazareth and he's going to rescue god's people in a sub uh, subversive way wasn't there like a famous i can't remember if it's mark driscoll or matt chandler, matt chandler or something, yeah. mm-hmm. years and years ago just shouting like we use this me and steven use this in our podcast all the time it's just the clip that goes you're not david, you're not david. yeah it's his most like, famous sermon about that being, right yeah. like you're not and that's what i loved about your sermon too this week was just i think a lot of and we do it for probably good reasons like we want to try and figure out what we're being asked to do for sure which is super encouraging that people have that mindset but it really naturally leads us to think okay i'm the samaritan what must i do to be more christ-like in this way which is great but i think that was what was really beautiful about your sermon was just reminding ourselves like we can only become the good samaritan because we were first the beggar the the injured man in the pit on the road like so we've been brought out of our pit which is literally in the Bible, we've been brought out of our pit by Christ to now go and do likewise, which yeah. is what Christ says to so many people that he calls along the way, go and do the same, go and do likewise, go and sin no more. So yeah. we can only offer anything as the Samaritan because we've been made that by Christ who's done it for us first. Yeah, and there's, I mean, if you start reading the Old Testament through this lens, especially these narrative stories of how is this pointing forward to a future a story Messiah? That leads to Jesus. Yeah. yeah, you start having so much more beautiful uh, true, deep, um, just gospel-enriching, spirit-empowering type of stories. I mean, you even think about, like, Moses. Moses and, and uh, leading God's people out of Egypt. Like, one of the most beautiful stories that points forward, right, to, a, to one day a Redeemer coming and leading his people out of slavery. Slavery to sin, slavery to self, slavery to the flesh, slavery uh, to the enemy of God. And here comes Moses as a type of Christ pointing forward to Christ, the ultimate one who is going to come and redeem God's people out of their bondage to slavery. And you just have this story after story after story. You could go to Noah, you could go to Joseph uh, is a big one. You could go to, um, you know, Abraham and Isaac, right? And Abraham's going to sacrifice his son Mm -hmm. and God provides a scapegoat. He provides a ram so that Abraham doesn't have to kill Isaac and it points forward to the future lamb of God who's going to come and be killed for the people of God and for their sins. And so just constant refrain over and over. And I think it's really helpful um, to think about as you read scripture to, to look for, okay, not just what is the moral lesson, right? Go and do likewise. Love, be a good neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself, second greatest commandment, all factually true. 
And also to go back to, and how does this story point to Jesus and point to the gospel? Because that is ultimately what's going to motivate us to love, right? It's one thing to just say, hey, good Samaritan, go and do likewise. Love people. It's a whole other thing to go, look at what Christ has done for you. That you were beat up on the road. You were left for dead. You were hopeless. You were an enemy of God. And Jesus crossed to the other. He came to you. He pursued you. He uh, left his throne to come to earth, take on flesh, die the death we deserve, and rise again. And he heals us. He forgives us. He sanctifies us. He justifies us and makes us right with God. And that love is then what propels us to then turn around in love, in word, and deed for others. And so I think uh, just going back to the gospel on all of these things, I mean, grace and grit, cultivation, like the whole goal of these practice guides and these practices is to become like Jesus. And we become like Jesus as we learn more and more what Jesus has done for us. Um, and something that just is, is a helpful reframe throughout this series to go back to, not only are we called to love, but Christ first loved us. Not only are we called to joy, but Christ first faced the cross for his joy. Not only are we called to peace, but Christ first came because he himself was our peace, to become our peace. Not only are we called to self-control, but Christ first died to himself, Philippians 2, and took the cross. Uh, and so in all of these things, yes, we're called to model after Jesus, but ultimately in a response for first what Jesus did for us on our behalf. Yeah, he's both, he's the example, but also, well, I guess that's the same thing. Never mind. We we can, we only know what to do because he did it for us, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's what I love about kind of see, reading the Bible through this lens is that we get such a full picture of what Christ is like when we also see him in the places that aren't just the Gospels, when we see these kind of points, pinpoints of, you know, this is what Christ is going to be like, this is what Christ is going to be like. Well, we see, like, we get the fuller picture when we recognize those patterns in a really beautiful way. Uh, any final thoughts for today before we wrap it up, Tim? No, I think uh, just use the practice guides. So hopefully if you were there uh, on Sunday, you got a practice guide um, that had uh, just the two practices that we're using to cultivate love this week. Uh, we're going to have that each week in the bulletin. They're also awesome. online. Uh, you can get them at rhythmsandformation.com or at citizenscharlotte.com on the sermon series page. Um, just really practical tips. First is to abide. Second is some sacrificial acts of love. Uh, for this week, we're cultivating the fruit of love. This is not a one-week thing, and then suddenly we're going to be perfect at it, but it's a step in the right direction. We're going to do this each week, joy, peace, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and just you know, making sure that we're utilizing those resources because, I mean, it's going to grit and grace, right? It's going to take some work to move us in that direction with the Spirit's help, so let's do it together. We always do it better when we do. Um, cool. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for hanging out with us, Tim. We'll see you next time.